What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain if you're hearing this right now that means that it's semi-annual sale time. This is the second time a year besides Black Friday where we let the doors open, where we discount everything as much as we do at any point in the year other than the Black Friday sale. This is the second opportunity to stock up on all the gear, all the stuff, all the supplements, 25% off supplements. We have gear and accessories and everything up to 60% off. It's really worth checking out go to onit.com slash aubrey the sale is live 422 through 429 and then also we have the design your life event coming up in austin with gary v that starts may 2nd and that event is going to have me and gary v and nq on stage at paramount and we're going to be figuring some stuff out we're going to be talking about what's important whether that's your business whether that's your entrepreneurial journey or whether that's just finding something that makes you happy. When I talked to Gary recently, he talks about how work is a hobby for him, how much he enjoys the process, the game, the strategy, all of it. We're gonna talk about that and also the strategy that I've employed to enjoy my life the most. And of course, I've had my ups and downs as we all do. And that's what we'll be sharing on stage, the lessons learned from putting ourselves in these challenging positions and asking the most of ourselves. And then on 5-3, we got a couple of my favorite people as well. We have David Rutherford, the Navy SEAL. We have Emily Fletcher, one of the top meditation teachers. So please check out this event in Austin coming up May 2nd and May 3rd. That's onit.com slash design your life. So I've talked to you guys once before about the skincare line, Alatura Naturals. This skincare line was what helped me recover from my accident and helped my skin, and it's something that I use to this day. I use the gold serum then, I use the whole line of their moisturizers and products. But one of the products that I was really surprised about, because I'm incredibly picky about scent, and that's their scent called Presence. Now there's not a lot of things that you can put on your body that actually smell good. I mean, I think the human body smells good on its own, but there's certain things and certain smells that actually accentuate that, actually give a vibe that is worthy of putting on your skin. And this scent presence is one of those things. Now, obviously, I'm talking to you in your ear holes about a scent. That might not make any sense, but I encourage you guys to give it a try. Go to alaturanaturals.com. Check it out. Check out their whole line. But if you're interested in smelling dope, presence is the scent for you. I'm telling you, it's super good. So I hope you guys check it out. And it's one way to support the podcast as well. Support the friends of the podcast, support Alatura Naturals. And once again, that's Alatura Naturals, A-L-I-T-U-R-A naturals.com. 
thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Hal Elrod is one of the most interestingly authentic individuals I've ever met. I actually became aware of him when I got a set of knives that had my own quotes on them from somebody I didn't even really know. Well, that guy turned out to be Hal Elrod. He's the author of The Miracle Morning, a best-selling book. He's a cancer survivor and a survivor of life in general. He recently put out a book, The Miracle Equation, and we dive into everything from the hustle to survival to the right mindset to get you through this crazy thing called life. Hal, what's happening, man? Uh, Aubrey. Dude, lots of lots has happened, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, lots has happened for you, and like kind of like me in the last five years or so. Yeah, quite yeah. a few things have happened. Yeah, we both survived potentially life-threatening car accidents. Uh, <laughs> we did. Yeah. Hopefully, you don't follow me on the cancer journey. I hope you just get to avoid that one. Hopefully, yeah. you know, but you never know what life throws, so yeah. you have to be prepared for all outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, and I always when I was diagnosed with cancer, the day I was diagnosed, I called my wife, and you know, she was terrified of losing her husband. And I, you know, one of the, I said, sweetie, I, I know this is hard, but I said, I, I promise you, this will be the best thing that ever happened to me. And therefore the best thing that ever happened to us. I know it's hard to see right now, but I believe it will. And, and I feel like, you know, it was. So. The, the funny thing is, is like, that's how I was when I got in my car accident. Like I knew immediately that this was going to be a blessing. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of times it takes a lot of suffering and a lot of hindsight. What do you think? What was the reason that you were able to get there so fast? Yeah, I had an unfair advantage that nobody else would ask for. But when, you know, when I was 20, I was hit head on by a drunk driver uh -huh. in my car on the freeway, 80 miles an hour. And uh, I, in that car accident, I died for six minutes. I was in, my heart stopped for six minutes. I was in a coma for six days. And when I came out of the coma, doctors said I would never walk again. And I had an abnormally positive attitude. And, you know, and I, I told the doctors, look, might be experts in medicine, but you're not experts in me. Like I'm, I'm going to walk again. At least I'm going to put all of my energy into that until proven otherwise. And so the car accident and that, even though I had a good, a positive mindset going into it, you know, it's been 20 years since the accident. And so hindsight, as you've said, like it, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I think that's kind of the breath I told my wife, I go, sweetheart, in the same breath, I said, look, the car accident was the, has been the best thing that ever happened to me. It shaped who I am. It allowed, it, it gave birth to my life's work. It allowed me to help and impact so many people. And the cancer is just the new version of that. You know what right. I mean? So that's the thing is for, for me to get there that quickly, I had the car accident to look back on and know that, you know, and I think right within every adversity is there's an advantage, but but it's it's up to us to enter into any adversity or or as soon as, as quickly as possible to go, all right, what can I, how can I grow from this? What can I learn from this? How can I use this experience to help me, to help but my loved ones to help other people moving forward. And if you approach adversity with that mindset, that to me is how you, you know, you, you find what you look for. So. Yeah. It's our choice to determine whether it happened to us or happened for us. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's the fundamental choice that we all have. And, you know, like there's that saying, everything happens for a reason. If you make it happen for a reason, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's the fundamental truth. Like we have the power to make it that transformative positive experience or to wallow and ruminate in our own suffering and grief and our woe is me why did this happen how could this happen i'm so young why did this happen well, we could go down that path which is all resistance yep. to that experience and the more we resist any experience the more it persists that which you resist persists yep. you know that classic wisdom and that's the case universally whether it's something that's grand like a car accident or cancer whether it's something minor yeah. like feeling a little bit 
<laughs> oh shit that's a great intro yeah oh shit <laughs> we got we got we got we got another someone was like your intro for how elrod was not yeah. nearly <laughs> as enthusiastic so ryan giles was like let's fucking pump in yeah. something with a little more energy let's get fired up <laughs> 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 Uh, as we were saying as we were saying ryan so we'd be interrupted (laughs) (laughs) so that fundamental thing can be applied to anything like i you know i go in bouts of what used to be called melancholy but now it has a medical term called depression right and that's we all do yeah and and that was i think it was actually probably more manageable when they called it melancholy because you could kind of say like ah you know i just got this oh, um, little thing that's going on and i can work through it something that abe lincoln had you know something that jfk had something that a lot of different people would go through this experience but what i've really been tracking is is that for those experiences it's still my resistance that actually exacerbates yeah. and extends that feeling when i surrender to it like okay well i'm a little down today yeah. you know and i stop fighting it and stop doesn't mean i don't do the things that i need that i should do anyways like yesterday i was stacking rocks in my garden and meditating and going for nature walks and doesn't mean you don't do the active processes to help you do it but it's also internally surrendering to what's going on rather than being in a state of resistance to it well yeah and that's so the way that i very similarly the way that i explain it or frame it if i'm teaching or speaking or whatever is that to the degree that we resist our reality is the degree that we create emotional pain for ourselves and uh in another way of putting it is that every emotional every negative emotion that we've ever experienced and negative is a relative term right but experience emotions that you don't want i don't like feeling angry i don't like feeling depressed i don't like feeling scared i don't like feeling sad every negative emotion that we've ever felt are feeling now or could ever feel for the rest of our lives is always self-created and it's self-created by the degree of resistance that we have to the things that are unchangeable in our lives and everybody we don't but we don't think that most people think they have something to point to whenever they don't feel good. Of course, I'm sad. Look at look at what I lost. I mean, of course, I'm angry. Did you hear what she said to me? Mm-hmm. Right? You you'd be angry, right? And we we always point. It's we think it's something outside of ourselves that caused me emotional pain, but it's never the thing. And the evidence of that is simply the the idea that the same tragedy can befall two different people, and one person it's the worst thing that ever happened. They're a victim. Poor them. Life is ruined, and the other person exact same experience. And they say, wow, this is the greatest opportunity for growth I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I'm an, I, I, there's a better version of me on the other side of this adversity. And I can't wait to meet that person and to become that person, right? And so it's 100% our responsibility to, like you said, everything happens for a reason. We, have to, we get to choose the reasons. Yep. And we can choose reasons that disempower us and discourage us or reasons that empower us and encourage us, right? Doesn't matter. It's not the experience, right? It's not the adversity. It's not the challenge. It's how we respond, how we interpret it. And it's it's that either resistance or the opposite, which you said surrender, or I would call it acceptance, right? It's accepting everything that you can't change. And there's an important distinction. It doesn't mean you're happy about it. I think that's where some people get a little bit you know, messed up is go, well, how am I gonna be, ha- I'm not gonna be happy that this happened to me. No, 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 I'm, I'm not happy that I was in a car accident. I'm not happy that I got, I wasn't happy when I had cancer and I was gonna have to go through this horrific experience, right? But happiness is an emotion, right? And we can kind of, you know, if we, if we, like if we group our emotions, you got, I have both my hands up here for anybody listening. You got your, my right hand, my left hand. On the right side is all the positive emotions, ones that we want to feel, gratitude, joy, excitement. The left hand, all the negative emotions. And when we accept all things we can't change, right, our hands meet in the middle in prayer position, and it's, it's a state of peace. So it's not an emotion. Emotions are fleeting. You'd be yeah. happy one minute, and a phone call changes that, right? But when you choose, consciously choose to accept all the things that you can't change as they are, 
you live in that middle and that space that is a place of unwavering peace. And it's not emotionally charged, positive or negative. It's, it's, it's neutral. And then you get to consciously, intelligently ask yourself, which emotion would best serve me in this moment to, to deal with this adversity? It's rarely fear. It's rarely anxiety. It's rarely depression. It's rare, right? It's typically gratitude or optimism, right? Opt I mean, those mm -hmm. are the two you could probably boil it down to. Um, yeah, I mean, so, that, so that's really it, is that we can choose to be at peace, and it doesn't mean we're happy that this adversity is happening, but it's more, more powerful. We're at peace with it, and then we can move, we can choose the emotion that would serve us to, to move through it as quickly as possible. And when you say accept those things that you can't change, there may be external events that you can't change, but the things that you can change is your internal reaction to it. Yeah. Right. And that's the that's what Viktor Frankl says, the last of the <laughs> the last of the human freedoms, right? That's right. He was in Auschwitz. Yep. Right. And he still understood that he had the human freedom of how he would emotionally respond to being in one of the worst situations that a human being Horrific. has ever and he had, had kids. to endure. He had a wife and a kid. Right. So like he understood that the last of the human freedoms, that thing that cannot be taken, is our ability to change our own perception about these things. Yep. And what's also key is you can find people who will agree with your externalization of whatever thing you're going for. You can find a doctor that'll agree that it's a chemical imbalance and fuck, maybe it is. Yep. But you can find someone who will agree with it no matter what yep. and then find some kind of solution in a pill that will try and fix it. You can find friends who will say, oh yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Or yeah, fuck yeah. that girl. Yeah. You know, that's bullshit. Like, you know, blah, blah, and, and agree with all of the reasons. Or they'll be coddling like, oh, poor baby. Oh my God, I'm so, I can't believe this yeah. happened. You poor which thing. Is, which you is, feel terrible. Yeah, you poor thing, which is one of the worst things that you can say to somebody because then that's reinforcing the fact that what they're going through isn't exactly the experience that they should be going through yeah right anytime you do that yeah have compassion give them a hug but sing the song of who they are truly sing the song of them being well like when you find someone broken don't don't agree with their brokenness and reinforce that oh man you're broken i'm so sorry Just agree with the light that can come through them agree with the growth that this can bring them agree with who they are beneath that whatever that external representation is yeah. and that's the best way to bring them forward not to coddle them and to agree with all the parts that are sick tired broken heartbroken angry whatever you know and yeah. i think it's important for us to be good friends and also have those good friends yeah. who can point us back to the to that truth yeah i would try to ask questions about somebody you know like i'll say if you could rub a magic lamp and feel any way you wanted to feel right now, what would you want to feel? And I think that's a good place to start is for them to tell you, like if you're listening to this and you're like, well, how do I help a friend though that, you know, like I, I don't, I don't, you know, I can't just tell them to change their attitude or whatever. They might get mad at me or they might, you know, disown me because they just want, you know, they're, they're in it. And I always say, if you could, you know, hey, I understand how you're feeling, right? That, that's rough, man. I've, I've, I've you know, I've, I've felt similar emotions. I can only imagine how you're, what you're going through. Um, if you could rub a magic lamp right now and, and feel differently or be in a different place in your life, what, what would that look like? And then you get them to tell you. And now, and now they're literally saying, well, this is what I would rather have. And then it's, oh, well, let's figure out how to get there, right? Like, let's, mm. let's maybe, what could you think about? What could you focus on? Which aspect of this could you focus on? What could you learn from this, you know? And kind of guiding them along the way. There's a, a story I tell in my speeches about this girl who was in an audience, like 10 years, I, I started out at high schools and colleges, you know, when I was 25 as a speaker. And I, I think I spoke at a, it was actually not a college, it was a company event. She was 27 years old. And she emailed me about two weeks after uh, the speech. That's how I knew she was even in the audience. And she, her email, I'll paraphrase it. 
Um, first of all, it had a picture attached to it, and the picture was of a, ta a tattoo of the three words that I teach in my speech, which are can't change it. And it's that whenever you experience adversity, I always, I always have this five-minute rule where it's like, I'm, it's okay to be negative, but not for more than five minutes. Like, set your time, literally set your time on your phone. You get five minutes to bitch, moan, complain, cry, vent, punch a pillow, like whatever you got to do. And then after five minutes, you say three really powerful words, which are can't change it. And that reminds you, I can't change the thing that has happened five, whether it was five minutes ago, five months ago, five decades ago, can't change it. So the only intelligent choice I have as a human being, if I want to be at peace and I want to move forward, is to fully accept it as it is. And so I taught her this and she, I get this picture and it has the words can't change it permanently tattooed in her wrist. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And uh, to, to sum it up, she said 10 years prior, her dad had committed suicide when she was 17. That's right, I can only imagine. That's like the most horrific thing in the world. Have your dad commit suicide at any age, 17. And she had spent 10 years deeply depressed in and out of every therapy, counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist. She'd been on every depression medication because none of them worked, at least not for a long, right? And so she would switch from this to this to this. And she said, Hal, um, I've been depressed for 10 years and I thought I was depressed because my dad died. And everyone I told it to, to your point, Aubrey, it, you know, they'd pat me on the back. You, you, know, you poor thing, you deserve to feel this way. I would feel the same way, right? Mm. And she said, when I heard your message about acceptance and resistance and all this, I realized, maybe I'm not depressed because my dad died. Maybe I'm depressed because I didn't know that I could accept that and give myself the gift of peace with that. And she said, and back then I used to give out these little can't change it wristbands after I would speak so people would remember it, you know? And um, she said, I wore your wristband for the last couple of weeks. And it's the first two weeks in 10 years that I've been almost completely at peace. And I made a decision that whenever I have the memory of my dad's death, that normally gets me, you know, feeling horrible, I decided to consciously make a change where I would, his memory would choose, I would choose gratitude as the emotion that it caused me. Gratitude that I was his daughter, that I have my life because of him and nothing would, you know, his death doesn't change that. And she said, I just have to, she goes, I wanted a permanent reminder that I will never again feel emotional pain over my dad's death. And so I got the words, can't change it tattooed into my wrist. And I mean, I, you know, I was in tears reading this email and just, I had a few thoughts. Number one is like, wow, I can't believe my message inspired her so much. She got a tattoo. Two, her parents must hate me. You know, she goes off to some of it, right? <laughs> you know, comes back with a tattoo. Um, but three, I realized, wow, that like, if someone could go from being depressed for 10 years and trying everything that the doctors prescribed and all that, right, counselors, and in a matter of a week or two, end their depression by choosing acceptance over resistance, I realized this is such a gift to the world, you know, and it's such an important, I mean, it's one of the most important lessons that we can not just learn and forget, but learn and write those words. Can't You don't need to get it tattooed into your wrist, right? Um, but write the words down in an affirmation, a mantra, something, right? Read them, you know, uh, live that five-minute rule, give yourself that space, whatever. But but yeah, just give yourself the gift of, of peace through the power of acceptance. Yeah, that's important. And also, you know, I think to, to remember to be seen is to be loved, right? And I think we have different ideas of seeing somebody, right? So sometimes our, our sight, is limited to just the present and just their emotional body and just their ego, mm -hmm. right? So we think that we can, if we see them in that and really, and only see that, then then that's compassion and then they're gonna feel seen and then feel loved. And in some ways their ego will feel loved just from us seeing that, right? More so than us being like, oh, whatever, they're going through their thing and like not even paying attention at all. But there's a depth to the sight that I think is what's important. And the depth to the sight is seeing them beyond that. So you see that woman in the audience and you see her 
through as you see her acknowledging the pain that she's in but see her through the other side see her as the one that's in peace see her as the one who ultimately transformed and start that sight as soon as you can Mm -hmm. you know as soon as you can start seeing them you know whether and that's if someone's sick or if that's if someone's anything that someone's going through see them through the other side of that and like your side of that will also give them the permission to see themselves in that way because we're all mirrors for each other in such dramatic ways and so being that mirror it's just like the kid that falls down and skin you know skins his knee and looks up to you and if the parent goes oh my god the kid's gonna go oh my god because they're looking at you like is this okay am i gonna be okay And, and the parents that go you're all right, buddy. Yeah, that's you know, a great analogy. You're, you're all right, buddy. Yeah, it's it going to be all right. You'll, you'll be fine. Then the kid's like seeing the reflection in their parents, who's God to them at that point. Oh, God just told me I'm going to be okay. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that we can all do for each other is to see not just the surface layers, which is important, yeah. but see the surface layers and then see the deeper, the deeper, the deeper, all the way to the soul. Yeah. And at that point, that person can be really loved and have the permission to actually become that thing that you see yeah. on the deepest level yeah so right it, it, would it would be fair to kind of summing up trying to reflect back what you just said to see someone not as they are or as they've been in the past but as they can become exactly as, as the best version of themselves right which they always are yeah it's already underneath it's in it it's in them sure. right it's not something they have to go gather from the outside it's actually the truth of who they are Sure. like see all the way deep 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 yeah. to the unlimited and potential exactly that. exactly and then they through the reflect because we're all mirrors whether we want to be or not we yeah. can't just like we can cloud our mirror but that doesn't do any good either because then they're like why am i not seeing any reflection we're always going to be a reflection yeah even if we try to be opaque no matter what so if we're going to be reflections to each other which we all are then be the truest reflection, mirror, mirror on the wall. <laughs> Show me my fucking infinite soul made of love, please. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that is the opportunity we have. Yeah. And I think that creates the space for miracles, which is a word that I know that you're trying to put back into a different context and a different way that we can reframe that. So that's something I definitely wanted to talk to you about because that's sure. topic of your next book is like, that word is charged sure right very loaded very loaded word and i like i applaud you for like trying to take that word and put it into a lexicon that makes sense so like what you know what do you mean when you're talking about miracles yeah miracles like you said it's a charged word it's a loaded word and i think that i think probably the most common definition or perspective that we would have on miracles is is really i think it gives miracle all miracles a bad name and it's this passive random perspective right that miracles only happen to certain people not me uh miracles are a passive random act whether an act of god or you know so i just like sit the back fucking and, lottery yeah exactly <laughs> i pray and wait and hope i get a miracle right you know yeah. like um and so for me uh the way that i define miracles right and it is just a word so whatever you whatever it represents for you but i define a miracle as a uh, tangible measurable result that is beyond the realm of what you believe to be probable for you I'll say it again, a tangible, measurable result that is beyond the realm of what you believe to be probable for you. And because it's beyond the realm of what you believe to be probable for you, that when you accomplish it, it feels like a miracle. Mm-hmm. You're like, holy, I can't believe it. And the more you do it, the more you're like, dude, I'm like a miracle maker, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. But at first, you don't even believe you can. And the word that's, a, there's an important word in there that I would underline, which is probable, right? I didn't say that you believe it's possible for you because you know, most listeners of your podcast, most people I think, you know, that are in personal development or in that world, 
we we abide by the optimist credo, which is anything is possible. You know, anything's possible. But possible is rarely enough to get us out of bed in the morning with the drive and the, you know, the motivation and, the, and to, to move toward our biggest goals and dreams. Um, you know, if you think about it, if you're listening, when was the last time that you pursued a goal that you didn't think was probable? You didn't think it was likely, but you gave it everything you had, even though you thought eh, it's probably not going to happen. We don't, that, that's, that defies human nature, um, which is kind of what this new book is about. It's like, well, that's, you know, no, you've got to identify these things that aren't probable. And then, and then you follow a, there's a certain kind of formula here where you, you move them from possible to probable and eventually to inevitable. You know, and you look at the world's greatest achievers, right? Like it's, if anybody, like the people that are on top of the world and that are, that make stuff happen, that are, that are miracle mavens, as I, I call them, um, anybody from the outside is like, dude, they got this. Like, like for, for us looking at, at like, a, you know, like a LeBron James or something or, well, that's a bad example right now. Um, but we'll take Michael Jordan when I was a kid growing up. That was my favorite. He was the epitome of a champion to me, right? Mm -hmm. and, and still con widely considered the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, you know, it, it, Jordan, he was counted on by everybody else, but it was because he counted on himself. He, he believed, he applied, we'll talk about this miracle equation thing, but he, but he applied it in everything he did. And it's very rare where if the game is on the line, right? Most, of, you know, let's say the game's on the line. It's, there's, there's only 10 seconds left. The, your team's down by one or two, right? There's only time for one more shot. Most human beings on the planet, including most of his teammates, they don't want the ball mm -hmm. because they're, they don't believe that they're going to make that shot. They're afraid. Now, Jordan, he might miss the shot. In fact, he might have missed the last six shots in the game, which creates doubt for anybody. But I believe that the, the miracle mavens, these people that are the world's creators, the, the greatest, most prolific innovators, creators, contributors, at some point in their lives, whether it was handed down from a mentor or because they've developed it through their own self-reliance and experience and, you know, surely, slowly, but surely gained confidence, they made a decision that I will make every shot that I take. I will win every game that I plan, right? And shot and game could be in, you know, project or, and, you know, goal, whatever. Um, and they made the decision that and it's an unwavering faith that they have in their ability to make it happen. And every time they fail, it doesn't mean that, oh, I, I, I failed. They never really fail because they just, they, they temporarily don't succeed, right? But on the longer journey, on their mission in life, they're, they're moving towards something greater and they learn from every failure, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't remember where we were going with that, but yeah, but so that's the idea of, of a miracle. Is one one great example of that too is I had Alex Benayan on my podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with him, one, no. but he, so he had this moment where he was studying for his um, medical exams in school and he was like, man, I really want to write this book, but I need seed capital to do this. And he got this wild idea that he was going to go win the prices right. He never even watched the prices right, no but way. he was going to go win the prices right to get the money to, get the money to do it, <laughs> that's right? A, that's like an interesting capitalism. Yeah, right, yeah, and that was like, and that would be the least probable way yeah. that yeah. somebody could get. But he had this belief and then he studied and he figured out that there was gonna be a producer and a secret producer and how it would go. But he, and he, ha but he had this, this faith yeah. that he could, instead of studying for his finals, he could go show up at the prices Right, get on, get called down, which is, which is, the first, which is yeah. hard enough in the first place, and then figure out how to win at the end and ultimately wins, wins a sailboat, sells the sailboat, goes on, and starts his journey to write this book, right? So it's this combination of being willing to try the improbable, you know, with faith in yourself and the willingness to do the work because it wasn't just faith, this blind faith, like, 
oh yes, I'm going to go and I'm going to just show up in the audience and and there it is, it's going to happen like yeah. an act of God. No, yeah, no, he researched all night and he understood some on some deep, deep Google page, the secrets of the secret producer how and, how to, yeah. and how to actually game the system so he could get on and, and figure it out. So it's this combination of faith plus hard work. Same with Jordan, like yep. faith in himself. But man, did he take a lot of shots? You know, did he actually practice as hard as anybody? You look at that with Kobe, with anybody. Guys, yeah. Any of these guys, they're willing to do the work, but they're going to believe in themselves all yeah. the time. And I think that combination of faith plus hard work is how you end up creating these miracles. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, what you know, anyone that you, when we study the world's most prolific again achievers or successful individuals in any walk of life. You, you, you find that there are two decisions that they all make. And these are the fundamental decisions that allow their success. And these are the two decisions that make up this miracle equation concept. And the for me personally, um, the first time I really applied it uh, was when I was told I would never walk again, right? And um, my unwavering faith, I just, I decided I'm going to walk in, but I didn't really know. Of course I didn't. I had no way of knowing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this is really, it's a strategy for, it's a success strategy. I mean, there's no guarantees in life at anything, right? There's no guarantee that the, the, the Jordan's going to make the next shot he takes. And if he misses it, there's no guarantee, but he doesn't, his faith doesn't change it. I'm going to make the next one. Oh, I missed that one. Damn. I was so sure I'd make it. Well, I'm just as sure I'm gonna make the next one. Damn, I missed that one too. Mm. Wait, give me the ball again. I'm gonna make the next one. Shoot, I've missed the last one, but give me the ball again. I'm gonna like, it's just a decision of how you approach. That's the thing, it's a fundamental way of living, right? It's a fundamental way of living where it's a lens that you view every challenge you face, unwavering faith that I can overcome anything that comes my way. Every opportunity that is either is, is coming toward you or that you wanna pursue, I have unwavering faith that I can accomplish this. And if you don't, your faith doesn't waver. You learn what you could have done differently because none of us are perfect. You, you make adjustments and then you maintain that same faith in every single thing you do. But I told the doctors that I would never walk again or they told me I would never walk again. And I said, I'm going to walk again. And, you know, and I was thinking maybe in six to 12 months, like, right? Like I'm going to be a long-term, you know, vision that I had. Um, but so I visualized walking every day. I prayed about it every day. I, you know, meditated on it every day. I thought about it every day. And I was, I was 20 when it happened. And two weeks after the crash, after I was found, or three weeks after the crash, after I was found dead, my femur broke in half. It came out of my leg, you know, compound fracture. My pelvis broke in three places. It was all the, you know, like eight other bones that I broke. And the doctors came in with routine x-rays. And they, by the way, I was so happy and positive. They thought I was delusional. They called my parents in. They're like, we're concerned with Hal. You um, might have gotten a, a traumatic brain injury. Yeah, and I had one, which, and that actually might be part of the whole, I don't even know that actually might contribute. It might've been all meant to be, but, but no, yeah, they're like, we're concerned because every time we see Hal, he's always smiling and laughing and, and making us, you know, telling us jokes and making us laugh. And that's not normal for someone that we're telling you're never going to walk again. You know, his body is mangled. He's got scar ridiculous scarring all over his body. Um, this isn't normal. So we think that he's checked out of reality. Like he can't handle his new reality. So the, it's funny, they, they actually, their prognosis was the opposite of my reality. Mm. They thought he can't accept what's happened to him. So he's just like in la la land. And it was, no, 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 no. I fully accepted what happened to me. I'm completely at peace with it. So I'm in real land like this, you know, like I'm at peace with it. So I don't have, to, I don't, I'm not scared. I'm not, if I never walk again, I, I told my dad, I said, dad, if I'm in, because my dad came in, after the meeting with the doctors when they said, find out how Hal's really feeling. He should be scared. He should be depressed. He should be angry. You know, some of these are the normal emotions that we need to work through in therapy with him, but not if he's all happy-go-lucky. We, we can't get, we got to get to the bottom of it. 
my dad came in and expressed this to me. And I said, dad, I live by the five minute rule. I learned it in my sales training. That's how I got that from. I said, it's okay to be negative, not for more than five minutes. It's been two weeks since my crash. I can't change that I was in an accident. And I said, and I've imagined the worst case scenario, which, you know, I'll call that, I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life. I never walk again. I don't want that. That's the worst case scenario. And I'm at peace with it. I said, dad, to the point where if I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I promise you, I will be the happiest person that you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Because I'm in a wheelchair either way. You know, and if you're listening right now, like what's your wheelchair? What, what is the experience that is, uh, you know, causes you pain? A lot of us are we're suffering from our childhood, right? Something that our family did or whomever, you know, when we were kids and it's not happening anymore, but we still feel pain, resentment. It wasn't fair. I didn't deserve that. I was just a kid. And absolutely, those are all things true, but the suffering doesn't have to continue, right? Mm -hmm. This, you know, what it, I forgot who, was it Joe Dispenza that said, Pain is somebody's I think that's said. an old Buddhist saying. Is it? it might okay. have even gone all the way back to Buddha that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. optional. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, and so I said, I'll be the happiest person I've ever seen in a wheelchair, you know? But I said, Dad, that's only one option. One option is doctors are right. Never walking again, and I really don't, that may be the option. Option two is I will walk again. And the, the it's a fact that the doctors don't really know. They, they can't, they don't know. I don't know, I have no idea. I just know that's what I want. So by accepting the worst case scenario and making peace with it, I can now focus 99% of my energy. I'm sure, I'm gonna, you know, of course, there's gonna be times when I think, well, gosh, what if? What if I don't walk? Man, that's what's that gonna be like, you know? But I said, I get to now focus 99% of my energy on what I do want while being completely at peace if it doesn't work out the way that I want. I think it's interesting that, you know, so thinking in terms of the doctors, like the doctors want to give you the most likely prognosis. Sure. And they want to do so in a way that it almost eliminates hope because hope is a, hope is a very passive emotion, mm -hmm. right? Hope is like, again, hoping for some external thing. I hope that my body on its own fixes itself. I hope that some treatment happens that can come fix me, right? Yeah. But hope is passive while faith is active. Sure. Like the active part of faith, mm, that's the, a great point. the meditation, the prayer, the visualization, these things, the same thing that, you know, you mentioned Joe Dispenza, the same thing he used to come back from his accident. Yeah. And the same thing that is like a similar thread between all of these ostensible miracles, which the doctors will say is spontaneous remission. And there'll, there'll be other names that the doctors will give to these things, but it's discrediting the fundamental difference between hope and faith because hope can be incredibly painful because if you have hope, that's an expectation of something happening. And every day that that thing doesn't happen, that hope will be like a thorn in your side going deeper and deeper and deeper yeah. until you surrender and at least accept what's happening. But faith, you know, is a different thing. Faith is that active practice. It's an active practice, practice that can actually help facilitate the result that you're looking for. And it doesn't ne doesn't necessitate creating these expectations and then being wounded by the expectations by having hope. So in some regards, the doctors are doing people a favor by helping to give them, you know, remove the hope, which will be like something, uh, uh, you know, a whip that's going to be lashing them daily as it sure. doesn't happen. They don't but want to set them up for failure. Set them up for yeah. failure of these expectations, but instilling some kind of faith, like I think the right thing for the doctors to do and learning from lessons like yourself and learning from every doctor has these stories and they're all similar about the patients like look the prognosis is that the likelihood is that you're not going to walk anymore we've seen these accidents however we've known people we've yeah. known people who've used 
you know, through their own faith and their own belief, who've been able to empower themselves to walk, but it's an active process and it's a long road and you got to dig in and you got to really believe. And, and having that mindset and not thinking in their own mind that this is random and something that just happened spontaneous because it typically isn't. Maybe sometimes it is spontaneous, but typically the through line is someone taking that active participation in the faith in their own recovery. And that's not faith in some external force doing it. Again, that's hope. You know, yeah. that's faith is that I'm going to be the one who does this. And, you know, if everybody can be mindful of that, like, hey, yeah, I, I acknowledge that this is a fucking, this is a rough road. The odds are stacked against you, but yeah. there's been people who've done miraculous things. Yeah. And the through line of how they got there is through faith. And what does that mean? And prayer, what does that mean? Well, praying as if it has already been done that's the visualization part of prayer that's how prayer actually works you can even track that back to the bible you know pray as if it has been done mm-hmm. not pray as if i hope yeah. that god the fucking genie in the bottle is going to come grant me this wish and all i got to do is sit there and ask for that yeah. no pray as if it has already been done and then put and, in the work to make it happen and put in the work yeah. to make it happen yeah yeah you um uh i love your distinction between hope and and faith and and what it, it prompted a thought for me when you were talking about hope and the way you just kind of defined it in the context you created around it is it it really can be a form of fear, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like hope, you know, fear disguises hope like, gosh, I hope this happens. I really hope. And you're really just saying, I'm terrified it's not gonna happen. Yeah. So I hope it does, because I don't think it's going I'm I, I'm afraid it's not going to, right? Whereas faith is a decision that uh, you know, I'm I'm I, I believe this is possible. Um, and I'm gonna do everything in my power to make it probable. Uh, you know, and, and hopefully, hopefully it becomes inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a really powerful. And you it, need to train doctors, by the way. I just, after yeah. what you just said, you need to, you, let's, me and you, let's create a little program for yeah, doctors. for dude. sure. It, I mean, it works. So the, we're talking about medical conditions. It works in relationships too. I mean, because hope and fear are very closely linked. Like, mm-hmm. I hope my girl doesn't leave me, right? I hope she doesn't cheat on me. Yeah. Well, like these things are so wrapped in fear, yeah. You know, that the fear actually is a belief in the negative outcome. Like, what is fear? Fear is a belief in something not preferable happening to you, right? Yeah. And so that belief is going to call forward that thing. A belief has the power to call forward that result. If you believe you're going to win a fight, you're more likely to win the fight. If you believe you're going to lose a fight, you're more likely to lose a fight. If you believe your girl is going to leave you, she's more likely to leave you. If you believe, you know, whatever you believe is going to happen. So the extent that you have fear is the extent that you have this negative belief versus that faith. Like, ah, I have faith that this is going to work out. And that confidence is going to be actually what is the most attractive trait that you can exemplify and is actually going to create the most positive result rather than the fear and the doubt and all of these things so it applies universally it's faith versus fear and hope as you you know really correctly identified is wrapped is wrapped in fear yeah and it's like bruce lipton in his book biology the biology of belief right i mean he talked the mind-body connection to me is so much more powerful than 99 percent of people realize and the you know think about it if you if you tell yourself if you if you whether it's through mantras or affirmations or prayer or whatever but if you if you express and decide and commit to having faith that your body will do whatever you want it to do you want it to heal you're literally programming your cells you're telling them what to do and then they respond you know and i wish i don't have a graph for like my whole walking again thing but i go look doctor said i would never walk again and two weeks later i was you know was walking and i don't have the graph that says look me believing i was going to walk again having faith that that was going to happen and telling myself that i'm going to walk again no matter what there is no other option right like i don't have the, i don't they weren't 
monitoring me to say, wow, how? Your belief is really healing your body, right? <laughs> like, I don't have that. I just have the picture of me taking my first step, you know, three weeks later or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, but I think that, that that's just another layer of, of that that's really important in terms of the healing uh, component of that we, our mind does affect our biology and, and whether that's in terms of, you know, if you have faith that things are going to go great in your life and, and faith and, and, and what and gratitude even for what is going well, right? You're literally, you're creating energy in your body. You're creating healing. You're creating health, longevity in your body. But if you live in stress, as we know, right? I mean, I just, what was I listening to the other day? But, you know, 90% of, you know, medical conditions, they're attributing to stress, right? Mm -hmm. And most of us have this constant stress over us. And that's why I say that unwavering faith is, it's a lens through which you live all of your life. When I'm falling asleep at night, I realized this just a few weeks ago, I've got this big book launch and I'm, I'm it's really stressful. I got a lot of things going on. And a few weeks ago, I found I was falling asleep and I just became present to my physical and emotional state as I was falling asleep. And I go, wait a minute, I'm feeling a bunch of underlying stress right now. I'm going to sleep and I'm not really consciously thinking about it, but it's like it's there where unconsciously I'm thinking about all the million things that I got to do, the things I didn't get done today. And I think for most of us, right, we got a to-do list of 10, 20, 30 things. And we're, we're constantly stressed about the things. Not that, not awesome. Look what I got done. Man, I didn't get done these other 12 things. I didn't get, you know. Mm -hmm. And so as I went to bed, I still calling it a miracle evening. But now I go to bed consciously. It's in my schedule. It's a reminder that goes off right before I go to bed that, and I just think thoughts that are empowering, that are loving, that are encouraging. And I go to bed feeling amazing. And then it's, what's amazing is, and I did it last night and I woke up this morning and I always find that, you know, one of the things in the miracle morning I talked about is your first, your last thought before bed is almost always your first thought in the morning, mm. right? If you go to bed stressed, you wake up stressed. When I was a kid on Christmas, you know, most kids on Christmas, if you go to bed thinking about Christmas, you wake up and as soon as your eyes open, you're like, eh! like that same emotion that you went to bed with is what you start the day with. So it is, this is kind of a slight tangent, but right, but it's so crucial that you, you go to bed, you know, go to bed thinking and feeling the things that you need to think and feel and that you want to wake up thinking and feeling. And I woke up for your, you know, knowing at your show today, just being like, this is going to be amazing. You know, it's going to be great. The, the interesting, <clears throat> there's a couple interesting parts. And, and one of them is that while belief isn't, belief isn't very easily measurable like you said like, yeah. like it's really hard to measure belief but the way that we measure belief is through the placebo right it's actually through tricking people because the placebo is it's literally tricking somebody into believing something it is an external it's an externalized belief right but you trick them by giving them a fake pill yeah and then you trick them into believing that that pill is going to heal them you can there's sham knee surgeries there's all these studies on sham knee surgeries where someone has a a busted knee and they go to an orthopedic and they actually do a placebo knee surgery where they just cut the skin and then sew it back up wow. and then pick people through and then years later they're like yeah you know that surgery healed my knee right <laughs> like things that you think are like not possible yeah are possible but the only way that we can measure it is by actually tricking somebody but it's harder to measure like what was Hal's internal belief like yeah. you know because there was no placebo for that it's all something that we have control over so remembering that we have control of our own placebo effect, like that's that's like really, really important is to know that like, all right, and that's again, where where Dispenza's book, I think was such a game changer is calling it saying you are the placebo, like you have control of this. Now, this is the this is what's really interesting. So you read that, you're like me and you, 
and you understand that your mind can actually control your body, can help control the outcome, can change the course of your life. But sometimes we don't want to. Like sometimes we don't want to apply our mind to actually heal ourselves. We don't want to apply our mind to create the most positive outcome. And that's where it's really interesting. That's what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance, right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like the ego wants to stay in a state of suffering. Mm -hmm. And, and we know that there's ways and things that we can do, but some part of us doesn't want to do it. And that's really interesting. I see that, I see that in myself, right? And I actually made a post about it today. Like the point at which I don't want to meditate the most or I don't want to go floating or I don't want to go do some of these yoga or some of these practices that are actually going to help me release my mind, when I have the most resistance to it is when I need to do it the most. Sure. But but the, why? That's fucked up. Like it's just <laughs> like there's this this force inside of us that wants to keep us small yeah, and wants to keep us in suffering. And maybe because we like the story of our suffering, maybe because we feel like we deserve the suffering that we're getting, or maybe because it justifies this idea of who we are as the one that's always has the bad things happening to them. So we'll find ways to stay in that rather than to make that bold, gallant choice for faith which is always available, but it's really interesting, these forces that we have inside ourselves. And with practice, you know, someone like yourself has practiced and had the opportunity to see what the result of making those positive choices, giving yourself the five minutes and then going full force into faith and seeing the benefit of that. But I think it's interesting for all of us to have the awareness of, okay, when we know, when we know that there's a couple of choices, what is the part of us that wants us to stay in suffering? That wants us to wallow. Yeah, well, I call I, so in the book I called that the the inher- or something very similar the inherent human conflict, right? Which in simple terms is it's this it's this inside of us. It's us knowing that we have unlimited potential, knowing that we're capable of more and that we want more, um, and then also ha- for some reason, <laughs> like you said, choosing to just stay the same, mm-hmm. choosing to keep things as they are. And, and I think you could, I think you can probably attribute quite a few reasons to what, why that is, um, you know, and one is that it's always easier to do nothing than to do something in simple terms, right? It's always easier to not go to the float tank than it is to go to the float tank. It's always easier to, you know, as, in a know, way, because like, yes, it takes effort. You got to get in your car. You got to go yeah. do that. However, I know reliably at the end of that float, I'm going to feel better the whole rest of the day. So what's easier getting in my car and going to do that and releasing that and then feeling and suffering. better and, or, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. or suffering yeah, yeah. indefinitely yeah, yeah. until I do that. Yeah. It's actually not easier, but it, it feels like well, it. it's easier on the front end. That's it, yeah. right. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, easier yeah. for me to sit here than to walk over there. And that's, that's the thing is to, to be great to create the lives we want, it, it's defying human nature. Human nature is always to choose the easy path over the path, right, the path of least resistance. That's what human nature is. Human nature is to um, do what's easy versus do what, you know, what takes effort. It's, it's human nature is to stay in our comfort zone because rather than pursue something that there, there may be fear around because of the consequence of that. There might, I might fail. I might, people might laugh at me. People might think I'm weird, right? I might, it might be harder than I think. It's out of my, I've never done it before, right? Um, and, and that's what, if you look at the, the two decisions that I talk about in the book that make up the miracle equation, they're unwavering faith and extraordinary effort. And at, it, like, if, if, if I left it at that, you'd be like, great, I got nothing out of that. Like, they're deceptively simple in their explanation, but they're, uh, they're, they're very rare, extremely rare in their execution. And that's why those who apply them 
live these amazing lives. And then most people marvel at those people, right? Like, oh man, how do they do it? But it literally, if we're, we can boil it down to those two decisions. Whereas the self-help world, right? Self-help books on and on. There are, they give us hundreds and I'm part of the world, you're part of the world, but it gives us hundreds of reasons, problems that, that are separating us from where we want to be in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's your, it's emotional intelligence. You need more emotional, it's productivity. You need productivity. It's, it's your morning routine, right? I mean, that's, I'm the morning routine guy. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's on it. There's a, there's hundreds of books and hundreds of topics that will supposedly are the thing that will bridge the gap between where we are and where we want to be. And it's, it's, it's frankly, it's overwhelming, right? It's like, why don't I even know where to start? Um, and the, uh, but if you, I, I feel like you can take all of those hundreds of different topics and things that are holding you back and you can distill it into these two decisions. You can simplify it. And the first decision, unwavering faith, if you look at anyone in the world that's created an amazing life for themselves or they've made a huge contribution to the world, it began for every single one of us. It began by establishing the faith that we could do something that we had never done before and often that no one had ever done before, right? No one had created Onnit Company. No one, you know, no one had created an iPhone. No one had gone to the moon. No one had, you know, so it's establishing faith, which, and that's why it literally is faith because you're, you're going out on faith that I can do something that when I look in my past, and I got no evidence. I got nothing that said for me, I, I got nothing that says I can walk again. I got nothing that says I can beat cancer. So the only way, it's, I have to establish the faith that I can. And that's counter to human nature because human nature is to look in your past and go, what can I do? Well, let me see. That's mm -hmm. all I can do. It's all I've done. I don't know. I don't know what else I can do, right? So the first part of unwavering faith is you have to establish it, right? And, and, and that's, e that's the easier part. You know, again, if you're part of the optimist club, you know, anything is possible. So they call that uninformed optimism, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, I can do anything, you know, because these people tell me I can, Tony Robbins tells me I can do it. I can do anything, you know? <laughs> um, and, but then the harder part of the faith is maintaining it until you get to where you want to go. Because show me someone, yourself included, my, that hasn't encountered obstacles, major obstacles, and major doubt, setbacks, and, and self that you face self-doubt and fear every single every day. day. And so you have to override fear with faith, right? And so you have to establish the faith to get started, but you have to maintain the faith to get to where you want to go. And that's the hard part to do. The second decision, extraordinary effort, and we can talk about how to implement these in a tangible way, you know, not just as a philosophy, extraordinary effort, right? And you could, yeah, you can call it by, you know, hard work. I mean, call it whatever you want. You can call faith self-belief. I mean, there's lots of synonyms sure. we could use, but, but extraordinary effort, right, is, 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 I mean, you can call it working hard, but to me, the way it, I, I think extraordinary effort really is ordinary when you look at it. It's not necessarily hustling and grinding and it's simply consistency. That's what makes effort extraordinary is the consistency. It's if you do one thing every day, if you just schedule half an hour a day to move closer to your biggest goal, your biggest dream, maybe it's an hour a day, and you do that every single day, and then here's the word that you, if you're listening, if you're watching, circle this word, underline this word three times. The word is until. Most people don't maintain the faith and the effort until they get to where they want to go, because if they did, they'd be there, right? If you establish the faith and then you maintain it so that it's unwavering and you put forth that extraordinary effort and you do both, and you're committed until however long that takes, because it usually takes longer, right? Um, your success moves from possible to probable to inevitable. And, and sometimes that initial goal or dream, you actually might on the path go, oh wait, that's actually not what I, I, I didn't want to do. That. I actually figured out because of who you become on the journey and the opportunities and, and the things that show up for you, 
oh no, no, I'm actually gonna go, dude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna divert. I'm gonna head this way. Like for me, I sold Cutco when I was 19 and my manager was the number one manager in the history of the 50 year history of the company. And I wanted to be him. So I'm like, I'm gonna be the great, I'm gonna break every record he said. I'm gonna be the greatest Cutco manager of all time. And I got in my car accident and I went, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm meant to do something different, something, something more. Maybe I'm meant to use this to help people. And, but here's the thing. When you approach this with a mindset of, well, I can't fail. I, I, even if I don't hit my intended target, yeah. the characteristics and the qualities that I develop on the journey, those stay with me forever. The goals, the, the, each goal is short term. Like who I become is the most valuable part of this miracle equation process. And I just, and so for me, who I became through a year and a half of like being the top, one of the top sales reps and, you know, developing the discipline and the, all these qualities that had eluded me for the first 19 years of my life. I was a, I was a class clown, didn't get good grades, wasn't an athlete, like nothing. And at 19, I made some decisions. I will maintain unwavering faith that I can break some of these records, put forth extraordinary effort until I do. Some goals I hit, some goals I missed. But every time I missed a goal, I, I evaluated what, did, what could I have done differently? What did I, what, how did I mess up on that? Sometimes it's just dumb luck, whatever. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to go bigger next time. I'm going to go bigger. I'm going to keep going bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, you know, again, your success moves to inevitable. Yeah. So you become your own KPI, right? You become your own, the own thing that you're working on. It's not the external success. It's not whether you made the sales. It's you becoming the person who applies themselves maximally to create that. You know, it's that. <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts about the Deadpool series is when he goes maximum effort, <laughs> you know, like recognizing that there's these points where we have our ability to apply maximum effort. And like, that's the thing that you never regret. Like if you apply maximum effort, yep. you know, and that does, that's not over maximum. That's not like over obsessing and exhausting yourself and yeah. borrowing from tomorrow's effort to pay for today's effort. Sure. It's just giving your maximum effort in that moment, you yeah. know, and, and, and repeating that moment over and over again. Okay, maximum effort. My maximum effort is, you know, every time I get in the shower, I'm gonna turn the nozzle cold maximum effort you know here we go and like that is a skill that we can train yeah. along with faith and that faith is you know because we're always looking for evidence you know our amygdala and our whole organism is looking for evidence and trying to assess and sometimes we just don't fucking know sure. and so so that can be paralyzing like i don't i just don't know but i'm just going to keep going in this direction because i'm going to learn something about myself here no matter what, you know, I can, I know I can learn something about myself at the very least. So yeah, I don't know if this is the path that I want to take forever. I don't know if this is a relationship that's going to yield my children and the, you know, passing of my lineage down. I don't know, but yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to see, and I'm going to give it, have faith and give it the maximum effort until I know something, you know, and that's the choice that we always have. Like no matter how much fog surrounds the forest and we don't know where we're going, like there's that point for maximum effort. And sometimes the maximum effort is to sit, <laughs> you know, like sure. meditating, meditate, yeah. you know, is, is also a form of maximum effort. So it's not always the outward doing, it's the yin and the yang of the maximum effort, like the external outward doing and the internal exploration of your shadow and the internal actualization of your being. I mean, for me, that's where I feel like now my calling for my maximum effort is to see like all right what is what is the maximum most joyful happy version of aubrey that i can create is yeah you know because i've built on it i've i've written the book i have more books i want to write and more things but that's not what's next up on the list for me you know what's next up on the list for me is is purely me 
Nice. You know, and it's not the I'm going to learn about me through these other things. No, I, I just want to go straight to the source. Yeah. Like I want to go straight to me and do the work necessary. And that's always been a it's been a thread, but it hasn't been the primary focus. And yeah. I think now I'm finally ready to make all right. Let's put me as the primary focus of this and see what I can bring forward out of myself with the intention, with the unwavering faith, with the extraordinary effort. Like what's possible for Aubrey? Well, and to your point that, you know, like you said, you put forth the maximum effort, extraordinary effort, right? And you might even not, I don't even know if this is the path, right? And I think that's a lot of people are hung up like, I I need my purpose in life. I need to know, like, you know, you create your purpose. And then sometimes you create a purpose and you go down that path and follow that purpose. And then you realize, oh, that's actually not my purpose. Or maybe I have a different, or maybe another purpose, right? You get more than one, you know? And I think people put so much pressure on themselves. And and the, the, the point is that you only figure out what your purpose is, if it, what your path is through putting forth that extraordinary effort, that maximum effort and, and unwavering faith toward a meaningful goal, mm-hmm. right? And then you you find out that, oh, that was it. I was on the right path. Awesome. Or that wasn't it at all, right? <laughs> which but, is a win too. Which is a win too, yeah. But, but, but you don't know. You're sitting on your couch, right? With your <laughs> finger go, well, I'm not going to move until I have it all figured out, right? Like, that, that doesn't do anything. It's no, you've got to fail forward as John Maxwell talks about, you know, you've got to move confidently toward, right? I mean, you've got to, you've got to set these meaningful goals. Like in the book, I just, I, I, I at the end, I, the culmination is a miracle equation, 30 day challenge, which is like, look, set a meaningful goal, not for the purpose of reaching the goal. Yeah. You're going to give it everything you have, everything you have to reach that goal. But if you, but, but that's, that's not the benefit. Like that's, if you get the goal, that's, that's a bonus. That's awesome. Right. But you're going to, in the next 30 days, develop the qualities and characteristics so that unwavering faith becomes your default mindset, right? It becomes, it starts to become just an extraordinary effort becomes ordinary to you. It becomes easy. And in the 30 days, you get to assess and go, all right, do I want to, you know, A, you might go, dude, this goal is going to take me like a year, (laughs) right? Like 30 days was just the, that was just the first step toward the goal, right? Um, Or, you know, but, but you, you look at, you, you literally go, wow, I can't believe in 30 days, like how I, my thinking has changed, how my behavior has changed, how my habits have changed. This is wild. I am a miracle maven, right? The word maven comes from the Yiddish word maven, which is one who understands, right? So it's essentially one who understands how to create miracles. Like Michael Jordan understands that I'm applying unwavering faith to every game I play in, right? I'm putting forth extraordinary effort in practice, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the world champion, this is how it just, it's, it's again, a fundamental way of living, not a one-time shot in the arm to hit a goal, yep. you know? what's still hard for you like what are what are the growth areas for you where do you struggle great question um so i struggle i would say i struggle with with fear self-doubt and insecurity you know all the time and uh and the uh, that actually is a great question that leads to something i should i should mention which is um so well let me say so i so i struggle with fear doubt and insecurity but What's interesting, I, like I, I think, because I've talked to a friend about it recently, and he's, you know, this guy's worth a hundred million dollars, and he's like, well, well, why don't you just get past that stuff? You're developed, self-developed. You know how to overcome that stuff, right? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I said honestly, I think part of me hangs on to that mm. because it's re- it helps me to relate to everyone, right? You know, I, I, I like I, I feel like my mindset is, I mean, your mindset is different than than most people's mindset, and that's why we're trying to share, like, hey, this is what we've discovered through many of it, through mentorship and learning that we've learned and combining it all and now bringing it to the world. Um, and so I think for me, hanging on to my insecurities and my fears and my um, uh, uh, self-doubt at some level um, keeps me grounded. Uh, and But the beauty of it is this, 
I have fear, insecurity, and self-doubt, but that doesn't determine what I do. Right. That doesn't determine what I do today. That doesn't determine where I'm going. Like, I, right? They, they say courage is not the absence of fear. It's acting in the face of fear. So I'm afraid. I'm insecure. I'm nervous. I'm afraid people aren't going to like me. And I also realized, you know, I rec realized recently too that I, I'm like, I'm still 20 in my brain. I don't know if it was because of the car. And I really wonder, you know, the car accident happened when I was 20. And I wonder if something about, because I did suffer a permanent brain brain damage. And I've wondered if that I got in some parts of my brain are stuck at age 20. But I just, and I think this is true for all of us though. I think we all have our insecurities from childhood. And, but I realize I'm still the high, really the high school kid that, you know, I was the class clown, but I was never really popular. I wasn't with the coolest kids. I got bullied and all of that, you know? And so mm -hmm. I feel like at, at age almost, I'm 39 now, but I still feel like I'm still this high school kid that is still I still, no matter what, I'm, I'm, I still feel like people are cooler than me and they don't, they're not going to think I'm cool and I'm not going to fit in. And, you know, so I struggle with all of those human challenges and insecurities and self-doubt. But again, uh, it's, it's using the miracle equation. It's using these things where, yeah, I, I'm insecure. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I, I've got doubt, but I have unwavering faith that even with all of that, I can still achieve everything that I want. And I'm going to, I'm going to define what extraordinary effort is for me today and I'm going to move forward through it. Like when I was diagnosed with cancer, the day that I was diagnosed, I was given a 30% chance of surviving. The cancer I had, it's called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's very rare. It's very aggressive. I mean, 1.5 million people have cancer. 6,000 people have that cancer. So it's very rare and aggressive. And of those 6,000, 70% die. So when you're told that, right? And, you know, I have a, like, and for me, I'm at peace with death. Like I, I can, I've died like three times during the car accident. I, so I'm at peace personally with it, but it's a different game with a wife and kids now, right? I mean, sure. so that's the most terrifying thought that I have is the prospect of leaving my kids without my influence and my love and, and, and to raise them. So, so there was an element of, yeah, being terrified of like my worst fear, which is leaving my family. Um, but, and, and, and when I was given a 30% chance to live, I asked myself, I'm like, okay, how do I turn that 30% into 100%? So in other words, how do I give myself a 100% chance of being in the 30% that makes it, right? And I mean, one of the first thoughts I had, probably in the first hour, maybe the first few minutes, I don't remember the exact moment, but was the miracle equation. Because I created the miracle equation when I was 20 years old to break a sales record in my company. Like that's, that, that's what I, I created it because it was this really difficult record. I was trying to do something that no one had done in 50 year history of the company. And I thought, man, if I were to do this, it would feel like a miracle. And I thought, I reverse engineered, how would it have to happen? And I thought, well, I'm going to have all sorts of fear and self-doubt along the way. I'm sure I'm going to have bad days, no sales. I know what the, you know, what the world in sales is like. I thought, I'm going to have to maintain the faith that I can reach the goal and tell myself. And, and here's, for anybody watching or listening, the way to maintain unwavering faith, because it's a very elusive kind of concept, is I call it the miracle mantra, which is, it's very simple. I am committed to blank, whatever your blank is, whatever your goal is. No matter what, there's no other option. Like that's it. I am committed to blank. So for me, when I had cancer, it was I'm committed to living to be 100 years old plus with my family. No matter what, there is no other option. And so I had fear. I mean, probably at least you know once a day or, or every couple of days, I would go, God, what if I did die? Like you know, there are people that I'm sure had a lot of faith, a lot of belief, and they still died from the cancer. I mean, right? And and I go, what what if I'm not fully in control? I don't, you know, I don't know. But but I wouldn't go down that rabbit hole. So as soon as the fear would enter, I'd give myself about a minute to be afraid, maybe five. And then I would replace the fear with, with my miracle mantra, with faith. No, 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 no. 
No, I'm not going there. I am committed to living to be over 100 years old, long, healthy life with my family, no matter what, there is no other option. And I'd repeat that. I've repeated it thousands of times during my cancer journey. And the beauty of it is it simply directs your focus on what you're want, you want, but through the through the, the the language of being committed to it. Not I I hope, I mean, how different would that yeah, be? Yeah. I hope I live to be 100 with my family. God, I really hope. No, no, no. I'm committed. I'm 100% committed to live to be 100 with my family no matter what. There is no other option. And so I overrode the fear with faith. And then I, because when I looked at my life, I went, the miracle equation is how I've defied the odds in the past. And it's how every person I've taught it to, it worked for them. Studying successful people, it worked for them. And then the extraordinary effort part, right? I, and that was the other piece. I go, okay, what's my extraordinary effort? And I decided, my, my hand was kind of forced. I had to do chemo because this cancer, I was almost dead. Mm -hmm. My heart was failing, my lungs were failing, and my kidneys were failing when I went to the hospital. And I told my doctor, doctor, I want to do this. I'm, I, I'm no offense, but I don't, I'm not big on your poison. You know, I'm not big on cancer or chemo. Um, I, I want to do this holistically. And I'd like you to, can you support me in that? And he said, Hal, um, I appreciate that you want to do that, but you don't have a cancer that affords that option. Last week you were healthy. Right now your heart is about, your heart's failing, your lungs are failing, your, kidney, your kidneys are failing. You've got, the way I look at it, you have between a few days, maybe a week before you're dead if we don't start chemo. And I thought that was a scare. I didn't know this guy's heart. I didn't know. I just met the man, yeah. right? I, didn't, I thought it was a scare tactic. And I go, okay, can I have, you know, half an hour, I mean, I mean, 24 hours to go home and sleep on it, right? And consult Dr. Google, you know? And, uh, and I basically, a, a you know, some Google searches showed me that, oh, th this isn't a threat. Like, th th this thing kills you in days, right? Right. So I did chemo, but my extraordinary effort was doing every holistic practice and the research that led to those that I would do if chemo wasn't even part of my world. And the only thing I was doing to heal was holistic practices. So I was taking over 50 vetted out supplements. Um, I was reading book after book after book after book. Uh, I was doing ozone sauna. I bought an ozone mm -hmm. sauna machine for my house. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I was doing acupuncture. I was doing a certain kind of lymphatic massage. I was doing coffee and it was every three times a week, which I always say there's no effort more extraordinary than sticking a tube <laughs> in your butt and shooting hot coffee off of it, right? And it doesn't have to be hot, everybody. Yeah, Just, warm uh, coffee. Sorry, warm <laughs> coffee. Um, but, but here's the last thing I'll say on that is I call this the faith effort feedback loop, which is when you establish the faith that you can do something that you've never done before, right? That you're, you're committed to do something. I had never beat cancer, of course. When you establish the faith that you can, right, that fuels your drive to put forth the effort because you go, dude, I'm committed. I'm, I'm committed to give it. I just said a hundred times during my mantra, I am committed to giving it everything I have until the last possible moment, no matter what, there is no other option. And then now you're like, all right, well, what's, what's, the, what's the everything I can possibly do? And then once you start defining your extraordinary effort and then you put it forth, all of a sudden it drives your faith because you start to feel like I deserve to live to be a hundred. I'm, I'm doing coffee enemas. I'm taking 50 supplements a day. I'm doing so I'm doing everything in my power to make this happen. So the faith fuels the effort and the effort feeds the faith. And then more faith fuels more effort and more effort fuels more faith and round and around you go. And then the miracle equation becomes again, your default way of being. It just becomes who you are. Last question. Yeah. Do you think that you can apply the miracle equation to being someone who rids themselves of fear, doubt, and insecurity, right? Because these things, I understand that they do, you know, make, they humanize you in a certain way and we all have them. But I think also being one who's transcended those, 
And you can always draw back on your whole life having them. So it's not like people, you know, you'll have no idea like fear. What is that? I was born without an amygdala. I don't know what fear, what you're talking about. It's not like you're an alien, but knowing that those are the, the points of resistance, they're uncomfortable, they're diminishment, they're diminishing and challenging and can be opportunities, whatever. I get that. But do you feel like that is a goal of yours and that that's an attainable goal? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And and as I was thinking of my answer to your question, I guess fear is a is not really now that I think about it, it's more insecurity and self doubt. Mm-hmm. Fear isn't. I've transcended fear for the most part. I'm I'm pretty fearless. I I go I, like I'll just you know I go after everything right. right. So I, I'd say I'm pretty fearless. So yes, you can transcend fear absolutely. And in terms of self doubt and insecurity, um, you, you minimize them right. So it's like I mean you, you, you I don't know how you would measure it, but you could measure it. You could ask somebody on a scale of one to ten. How much fear, self-doubt, and insecurity do you have? And they might say, dude, I'm like a nine. Like it consumes me. For me, I'm a one, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe a two or three on a bad day, you know? Um, if I'm doing something I've never done before, like giving a speech to the biggest audience I've ever spoken to, and it's a new topic I've never spoke on, and there's it, the audience is all CEOs who, right, you know, have heard from the best speakers in the world. Well, I'm going to be a little more insecure, a little more nervous than I normally would be, right? Sure. Um, but, uh, but so, yeah, for the most part, absolutely. You can transcend those things. And I don't think it's the absence of them where they're, I don't know that they're ever a zero, right? But if you can get your fear and insecurity and self-doubt from a, not, you know, five to nine or whatever, down to a one, you know, or a 0.05, right? Again, I don't know how to measure it, but, but absolutely the miracle equation enables you to do that. And, and an important part of faith, I think too, is to realize that, and this is a weird distinction around it, but you don't actually have to believe that it's, you don't actually have to believe that it's that it's going to work. And what I mean is this, the first time I used the miracle, when I came up with the miracle equation when I was 20 and I was trying to break this record, it was, uh, part of what made it a miracle was the the company announced like days before that, hey, you don't have the full, you only have like roughly 60% of the time you thought you had to, to, to during this sales contest. We, we had to move the date of our conference up four days. So you only have 10 days instead of 14. And I had spent weeks trying to wrap my head around breaking a record in 14 days that felt impossible. And then all of a sudden I go, dude, you took out four days. That's that, like, that, that's, that, I, I, it, it's now gone from almost impossible to impossible. Like there's no way, you know? And so as I was falling asleep that night, it was, I'm, you know, do I lower the goal? Do I just sit this one out and like whatever? But the thing was, I for me to break this record, it that was the only, it had to be done during that particular push period, right? I was trying to do something where the first person ever do it three times in a row. Yeah. And so I'm like, and then I remembered the paradigm and I learned it from Jim Rohn around goal setting, that the purpose of a goal isn't to reach the goal, it's who you become in the process by giving it everything you have. And I thought, well, there's nothing to lose. I'm going to give it everything I have to reach this goal. But here's the thing, Aubrey, if you would have been my, you know, my colleague and been like, Hal, you're, you're really going to try to sell that much in 10 days? Like, dude, do you think you can do it? I'd have been like, not really, but I'm committed <laughs> but I'm to maintaining faith that I can, yeah. even though I like, it, and, and, and here's a way to put it. If you'd be like, dude, I'll bet you 10 grand you're not going to reach that goal. I'd be like, I'm not taking that bet. The odds <laughs> of me reaching the goal are not very good. Like, yeah. But, but that doesn't that doesn't change that I'm going to maintain unwavering faith every moment through all the self-doubt until the last one. And here's the thing. I broke the record on my last appointment with a woman from Sweden who wasn't supposed to be there. The lady I was supposed to sell to had left town and the Swedish lady was like, I can help. Can I help you? And I'm like, dude, the lady on vacation from Sweden isn't going to buy knives to fly back to, I was selling kitchen knives, right? To fly back to Sweden. And I almost actually first told her, no. And then I went, wait a minute, 
you committed to give it everything you have until the last possible moment and that la the last possible moment has not arrived. This woman's offering to help you. Yeah, it's very unlikely she's gonna buy anything, let alone I needed to sell $3,000. You know, it was like, it was, the odds of it were impossible. And during the appointment, she tells me two miracles. Number one, I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't write this stuff. She says, Hal, it's so interesting, I'm bad at accents, but she says, it's so interesting that you're showing me high quality kitchen knives my husband and I were just looking at a set of Hinkle back in Germany and we are in Sweden. We almost bought it, but something inside us said we should wait. And then she says, and you know, we're here for my brother's 50th birthday party and our family's been looking for the perfect gift for him and we just can't find it. And what do you think his favorite hobby was? Cooking. Cooking. And she buys <laughs> two of our complete sets at 1500 each. For a, and I, I beat the I beat my goal by seventeen dollars, twenty thousand seventeen dollars sold the last appointment, you know, and it, and it was like, dude, this is the miracle equation, like it's crazy, like a wink from the universe. Hal, right. thank you for coming on, my brother. Miracle equation, it's out where it's uh, you self published this one, right? No, or, this is my no, this, first okay. ever traditionally published. So book. this is going to be on Amazon, it's everywhere, Target.com, Walmart.com, Barnes and Noble, Audible, all the things. Yeah, man, all of it. Beautiful. Well, yeah. I encourage you guys to check it out. Hal, thanks for stopping by, brother. Thank you, brother. Appreciate yeah, Aubrey. Great to have you here. Take it easy, everybody. Peace. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast with Hal. Please check out his new book, The Miracle Equation. He'd also love to hear from you. Thank you so much for following the podcast. We have some great ones in the past and some incredible ones coming up. So make sure you tune in to the next one with Nako, one of my favorite artists of all. Subscribe to the newsletter at aubreymarcus.com and go get you some good stuff at onnit.com slash Aubrey. Love you guys.